Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Yep. Today. On this day. On this day, we are openly mourning. Why don't you tell everybody why we are so sad? Well, in case any of our wonderful listeners don't follow us on social media, because we did post... (laughs) A meme or two about this. So remember how on Monday we shared our just deep joy and excitement over our upcoming very fancy trip Yep. to go see a bunch of our favorite bands from our youth? Yes, I remember. You remember that? From when we were young. From when we were young. Yeah. Yeah, well... We got there, got all settled. There's emos everywhere. It's a beautiful thing. Like, you look to the left, there's some emos. Mm-hmm. You look to the right, more emos. Mm-hmm. And they're Green beautiful. Mohawk. So beautiful. Everybody looked so good. Everybody did. And then Saturday rolls around, the day, day one of the festival. She got canceled, guys. Mm-hmm. She got canceled because of high winds Mm -hmm. which i did learn later it was the right call it's pretty legit as mad as i am about it i had one person on my personal facebook tell me to look up the indiana stage disaster and Mm. i did and it was horrifying it is and i saw people who live in las vegas and like similar climates say that there's a disease called i think it was called valley disease valley fever valley fever okay that essentially is a illness brought on by breathing in dirt and sand and dust yeah. that's blown in by desert winds. Right. And it's like, man, I'm glad I don't have valley fever and I'm <laughs> glad I didn't get crushed by anything. Right. Like, yeah, my spirits crushed. Absolutely. My devastated. hopes and dreams crushed. Yes. My youth is gone. Um, yes. In a naturally. sad twist of ironic fate. I mean... <laughs> We were sad people going to a festival to listen to sad music for 13 straight hours. Mm -hmm. And we left being more sad. Yes. Because we didn't get to do that. Yes. And we walked up and down the strip all night and we saw everybody in their beautiful outfits with their hair done, even though their hair was windblown beyond recognition. Everybody looked so good. And even though we were all sad... Everybody was so friendly. Yeah. And there was this like very unique camaraderie that came from all 60 to 80,000 of us having our hopes dashed. (laughs) 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 That like we would recognize each other like, and you know, you and I don't express ourselves in a super like emo way necessarily. Yeah. Not these days. We don't look as cool as 99% of the other emos that were there. Everybody looked awesome. But it's like there was this like twinkle of recognition in everybody's eyes mm-hmm. that you would walk past where it's like, I found one. Oh, mm-hmm. there's another one. So, yeah, we didn't get to see the bands and we're sad about it. Yeah. And then we almost died on the plane ride home. Yeah. So, That's a story for another time. I'll tell you guys about that one next week because yeah. I'm not over that one yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the anecdotes of life. Mm. And... uh yeah. Cruel ironies. Cruel ironies that we would be going to a sad, sad music festival and <laughs> not get to. Sorry, no just, fun for you. Just the complete letdown of middle <laughs> school, just re relived all over again. It's like we didn't know true sadness until this weekend. <laughs> I know. I know. I say that mostly jokingly. We do know true <laughs> sadness. Yeah. Yeah. We've been plenty sad before. But we're here. 
We did make it home. We did land. We did get to go on sort of a weird vacation. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a memory that I'm sure at some point we'll think is hilarious. So We sure do. We have a memory that only 80,000 people in the whole world can experience with us. I'm just going to say that I'm glad we didn't fly internationally for this. I feel oh, so man. bad for people who did. That's rough. But. Well, we we need to move to the all-important question. What are you drinking? I, You know what? I'm not messing around tonight. I've got me a McDonald's Dr. P. Nice. What about you? Classic. I am also not messing around tonight, and I got myself a McDonald's Coca-Cola with a splash of Malibu. Good call. It's Honestly, actually really good together. It is. I was Malibu just, diet. Shout out to my sister. Yeah. I was just kind of like, I'm going to try this. I've never, never done this before. So it's the best. It really is tasty. If you like coconut flavor and you like Coca-Cola, you can have coconut Coca-Cola. Not sponsored. Not sponsored yet. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, someone's going to hear it. The right person's going to hear all of these requests. And they'll be like, I'm in. They'll be like, I know one of these. I can I can get you in. Well, my love, do you have a feel-good fact for us today, please? <laughs> <laughs> I need one at this point. <laughs> yes, I do have a feel-good fact. This is our final spooky season feel-good fact. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, today's feel-good fact. Japan has the world's first and only cafe made specifically with black cats in mind. Hmm. The cafe is called Nikobiaka, and it's full of cute, playful black cats that you can interact with while you enjoy your coffee or beer. Wow. It's very cute. And they all like look so nice. They like gave them (laughs) cute little like collars and like bandanas and they just have those big, cute eyes Mm -hmm. where they look like just a little black cloud with eyes. They're just so cute. I wonder if they age out at one point where they're not like kittens, but they're just kind of like old cats or if they just have. I think so. I mean, there's cats of all sizes in there, but they're <laughs> all black cats. That's fun. Yeah. I had a black cat when I was a kid. Donut. Donut the cat. I remember you getting mad at Donut for biting your hand. Yeah. Donut lived till she was 20 years old. Yeah, so she was an old cat, gal. <laughs> that cat was around a long time. She would wake you up by biting your hand and she you'd be would. like, Donut, <laughs> Donut, stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That dang cat. But yeah, that is the feel good fact. That's a great fact. I feel good. All right. Well, I don't know anything about the story except for the fact that you've told me that it is very sad, which is just poetic (laughs) in your timing. I actually started this before. I know. Emo Fest. I know. Was canceled. So. So there's just, we're just here to be a bummer today, I guess. Yeah. Sorry in advance. Well, we have made it to our final regular episode of spooky season it's been a real time telling you all about some very scary mysterious and dark cases cryptids and cursed places and things i hope that all of our listeners have enjoyed the extra content i put you know a lot of effort and care into Mm -hmm. coming up with things i thought people would think were fun for spooky season so um we're not that far off like fingers crossed from being able to offer somewhat regular bonus content on the show um, in the months to come. So stay tuned for that. But for this week's episode, I wanted to talk all about a mysterious disappearance of a young woman from a small town Halloween bash and the events that would unfold throughout the investigation. Today, I'm going to tell you all about what happened to the bright, beautiful, and creative Chelsea Brooke. Mm. Hang on for this one, Kev. 
It is a doozy. Oh, no. Just the way that you said that. (laughs) Yeah. So before we begin, I just want to offer a sort of blanket content warning about today's episode. I know we have listeners from all walks of life. And if you're someone who listens to our show within earshot of small children or maybe while you're at work, then this episode might not be for that setting, Mm -hmm. might not be for you. There is a lot of mention of adult activities such as sex. There's also a lot of discussion of sexual violence, graphic descriptions of crime, etc. I don't normally offer a blanket content warning at the beginning of a show, but I think that this episode is different than other ones that we've done in the past. And I also will offer the individual content warnings right before more graphic or sensitive moments of the story. Let's start by talking about October 25th, 2014. Every year in the small town of Frenchtown Township, Michigan, a man by the name of Mike Williams would host this huge Halloween party on a big old chunk of farmland. With several acres to work with and a can-do and welcoming spirit, Mike and his parties were known, I mean, in the Frenchtown Township area and really just about every small community nearby. These parties were a huge deal. Wow. I also love that the town is called the Frenchtown Township. I know. That is like... Typing it, I always felt like I was, like, saying something wrong. Yeah. (laughs) That's, like, Parks and Rec level funny. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, So every year there would be somewhere around four to 500 young people in attendance. These parties were the place to be. A big open field with a handful of stages set up. Between Mm. eight to ten bands that would perform music throughout the night. Drinks, costumes. Wow. The whole bit. So this party in particular that would be hosted this night was one of the biggest and best ones that Mike had ever hosted up to this point because the 2014 party was the 10th annual party. Oh, wow. So Mike committed himself to going bigger and better than ever. He literally took off an entire week of work to set up. Wow. I mean, he contracted in everything from like bathrooms to food vendors, all sorts of stuff. And I've seen footage from people that they'd like taken on their phones from the night. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. There were like fire tossers, like the fire dancers. Really? People throwing fire and all the bands were up there. Um, At the end of the night, they had a huge bonfire. There were food trucks. There were tents that had drinks that were being served and like lights. Everything was lit up really well. And so, yeah, it was really neat. It was really cool. So (laughs) Mike actually had a band at the time who would play that night. His band was a metal band called Pickaxe Preacher. Nice. And music was a heavy element in the annual Halloween party. A lot of bands that were local would come and play these parties, and they tended to be usually different variations of rock Mm -hmm. and metal bands, which keep that in mind because weirdly and annoyingly, it's kind of an important element of part of this story. So Mm, keep that in mind. So on this night, 22-year-old Chelsea Ellen Brooke was getting ready to head out to the party. She put on her super cute poison ivy costume that she'd spent six whole weeks making. Her mom said that she'd sit in front of the TV every single night for the six weeks leading up to the party so she could work on it. (laughs) It's so cute. So she sewed on individual craft leaves onto a leotard that she wore like over black leggings and she put on a red wig Mm -hmm. and she did cute makeup to complete the look. Like she was serving. Yeah. She looked so good. (laughs) So crazy enough, she actually almost missed the party that she'd been so looking forward to because her original ride to the party got stuck at work and they weren't sure oh. if they were going to make it to the party. Oh, So she kind of just texted 
frantically to, right, <laughs> to all of right. her friends. Like, can I get a ride, Someone. please? Yeah. So from what I understand, Chelsea didn't drive. Um, mm. I don't know if that was like for since, you know, she was of legal age to drive or whatever, if she just didn't like chose not to. Right. Or if at that particular time she just didn't have a car or whatever. Yeah. Either way, she didn't have a way to get there without a friend. Okay. So she ended up hitching a ride with a friend and headed out to Mike's party. According to friends and acquaintances that either saw or interacted with Chelsea that night, she was having the time of her life. <laughs> she danced and partied and had an awesome time all night long. One tricky element of the party, though, is that even though these parties were always huge, there were double the people that were usually in attendance. Oh, wow. They estimate somewhere between 800 to 1,000 people showed up. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's a big party. That's a lot of people. And uh, they think that happened because people were like sharing pictures of the invite on mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. So people were like, oh, that sounds sick. I want to go. Yeah. And just showed up. Just showed up. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It was getting pretty out of control. And since everyone was in costume, it was kind of easy to get mm. kind of lost in the chaos or for people to get separated from their friends. There were also loads of people there that nobody really knew. That just showed up, like I said. So as the hours passed and the crowds began to die down a little bit, a few friends took it upon themselves to offer Chelsea a ride home. But since she'd gotten there late, she really wasn't ready to go. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So she politely declined. Friends said that she had a bottle of wine that she'd brought and she'd like taken the label off of it and put a new label that said poison on it to go <laughs> with her costume. Yeah. And they'd like seen her tossing back drinks all night, which like, duh. You right. know, she's at a huge party that she's excited to be at. Right. And she's super proud of her costume that she worked hard on. And she was like getting tons of compliments on her outfit. Right. right. Which is like, that's a big deal when you're, yeah. especially when you're 22. Right. You know, so the costume that she'd made didn't have any pockets though. So she didn't want to keep track of a purse. So she ended up giving her phone to one of her friends that was there mm -hmm. who either like had a bag or a pocket or whatever and said, Hey, can you hold on to this? For me for oh, a little while. Yeah. So because this party was going off, once the bands were done, that's when everybody headed out to an area of field where that big bonfire had been set up. Yeah. So there were loads of drunk, happy party goers making <laughs> their way across the property to enjoy the fire together. Chelsea included. Yeah. On her way out, she accidentally ran into a tent pole and hurt her nose. Oh. Yeah. But that did not stop her from continuing the good times, which I'm proud of her for. So everything was fine until around 2.30 a.m. when Chelsea couldn't find any of her friends. There was an extremely unfortunate misunderstanding that had unfolded. So basically, all of the friends that she'd been at the party with had assumed that Chelsea was with the other friend. And that oh. Chelsea was safe, that she had a ride home, including the friend that she'd ridden in with and the friend that had her phone. Oh, no. So because of that misunderstanding, Chelsea was essentially stranded at this countryside party without her friends or phone. Yeah. Alone in a field at 3 a.m., which is so scary. So, yes. so initially while she was planning things out, she had planned to stay overnight with a friend. So her family was not immediately concerned when she didn't come home first thing the next morning. Mm -hmm. But when Chelsea still wasn't home in the late afternoon or evening hours, and after discovering that she hadn't reached out to anyone via text or social media, her family did become concerned. Yeah. That just wasn't like her to not tell oh, people where yeah. she was or to not post on social media. She was yeah. very active. So yeah. they reported her missing. So let's talk a little bit more about Chelsea before we move on. She was born January 28th, 1992 in Trenton, Michigan, to her parents, Matthew and Leanda Bruck. Chelsea was the youngest of five siblings, and they were a very tight-knit family. 
that made a point to share meals and communicate with each other daily, mm-hmm. even when all the kids were grown up. She grew up on her family's farm in the small town of maybe Michigan. And after high school, she stayed at home with her parents to save up money. She'd been working as a hostess at Olga's Kitchen in the Monroe Mall nearby for four years, and she was also pursuing a culinary degree. She loved movies and gaming and music, with Queen being her all-time favorite band. Hmm. She was sweet and a little bit shy, but had close friends who loved her very, very much as well. One friend described her as always happy and the nicest person in the world. (laughs) She was in that really like scary but fun season of life where you're like kind of for real figuring out Mm -hmm. what you want to do with yourself. And like, you know, you're forming, you know, things that are going to continue on for the rest of your life in that season. Right. But it's also still kind of carefree. You're still a young adult. You don't have all the responsibilities yet, but you do have all the freedom basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So- October 27th, 2014, the day after Chelsea's mom, Leanda, reported her missing to the Monroe County Sheriff's Department, a massive search was launched, and people from all over Monroe County joined in the search. Police and volunteers combed over Mike Williams' property first. Right. Obviously. Yeah, But this turned up nothing. From the jump, this was a tough investigation, considering the amount of people that came, how many people that came that nobody really knew. Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that everyone was in costume, etc. Yeah. So Mike Williams did his best to help the investigation, but he really didn't have much information to give them beyond just kind of like the info about the party. Right. You know, and like they, he gave them also full access to the property. He That's withheld good. nothing. Yeah. So he told them his band had played, you know, he tried to aid security with keeping the party from spiraling into total chaos. (laughs) He also wanted to enjoy the fruits of his labor. So he just straight up was not paying attention to every single individual costumed person in attendance, you know, of the 800 to 1000 people. He probably was aware of eight. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) At any given point in time. So investigators also reached out to people who were in attendance at the party asking if they'd remembered seeing Chelsea or if they'd interacted with her. Hmm. And this also turned up nothing. The search for Chelsea Brook included hundreds of volunteers and over 70 police agencies in multiple states, Hmm. but there was no trace of Chelsea to be found. Friends, family, and members of her community all sported purple ribbons because purple was Chelsea's favorite color, and they wanted to raise awareness and kind of symbolize that the search for Chelsea was just as important as it was when the search had first begun. Yeah. Wow. They held candlelight vigils to pray for Chelsea's safe return home, and they even offered a $17,000 reward for information on Chelsea's whereabouts. There was such an overflow of public support that the reward was actually raised up to $30,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so people really cared about her story. Yeah. So on October 29th, 2014, police got a new lead a composite sketch of someone who may have been the last person that had seen Chelsea. So someone who was in charge of merch vending for the bands at the party remembered seeing Chelsea with a man with swoopy dark hair, like the emo style swoop, Mm -hmm. glasses, some facial like scruffy hair, and they believed that they'd seen the man leaving the party with her. So family immediately sent the sketch to the media, along with a missing persons flyer that Mm -hmm. had Chelsea's picture all over it. Right, right. Um, They made all kinds of media appearances, pleading with the public to put themselves into their shoes. Like, please, if this was your sister or your daughter or your friend, you would do anything you could to find her. Like, if you saw something, please come forward. That kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. months passed. 
five months. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Throughout these months, rumors and fears about where Chelsea was and what on earth could have happened to her swirled. Was she kidnapped? Was she a victim of sex trafficking? And then one of the absolute worst theories, Mm -hmm. that she was part of a satanic ritual sacrifice. The idea behind this literally stemmed from the fact that Mike Williams, the host of the party, played scary metal music along with a lot of other bands who played scary metal music at the night of the party. And so metal music obviously means blood sacrifices to Satan. Yes, of course. It's so scary. Yeah. Obviously, that's (laughs) what it is. I rolled my eyes when I tell you I could see my brain. I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) There's no hyperbole to be found. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing little rabbit trail that like even in the 2010s the whole like satanic panic thing yeah really hasn't actually gone anywhere it's like it lies dormant mm-hmm. until people until are the, looking for someone to blame yeah something strange on you know right so that's just kind of a bummer it just takes the right uh scenario to come up where all of a sudden mm-hmm. people start just picking things out of midair. That's like, well, there's this, there's this, there's this. Well, metal like, bands. So yeah. obviously <laughs> yeah, they did have to follow up on this lead searching for any evidence on the property and the woods and fields surrounding the property. But they obviously found nothing that would connect mm. Chelsea's disappearance with a satanic ritual. <laughs> right. So there were really no more leads until March of 2015. The first lead was a shoe that was found along War Road in Monroe County, mm-hmm. not far from where the party was held, and it was confirmed as belonging to Chelsea. Oh, wow. On that day, or somewhere around that same time, two men were looking around for scrap metal at an abandoned industrial site in Flat Rock, Michigan, which was only a few miles away from where the party had been held. There were little groups of abandoned buildings that they were kind of sifting through to mm-hmm. find scrap metal. And that's when they made a discovery, a red wig and a costume made out of green craft leaves. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. They thought it was weird, but they're like, whatever. So they just left it and moved on with their day. But a week later, on April 5th, 2015, one of the men was in town when he noticed a missing persons flyer. He noticed that in one of the photos, the missing girl was wearing a red wig and a green mm-hmm. leaf-covered costume. And he immediately remembered the costume and wig that he'd seen in that building a week before. Wow. So, oh like, my gosh, her family... I got goosebumps. Oh. Her family being so dedicated to passing oh, out flyers. Yeah. Like, I watched a couple of things about it, and her mom literally would take mountains yeah. of these flyers everywhere and convince people to hand them out, put them everywhere, put them yeah. in every store. Yeah. On every lamppost, they were everywhere. So that was one thing in this case that I was like, thank God that they did that. Right. You know? So this man contacted the Monroe County Sheriff's Office and reported what he'd found. Investigators went to the building and they did a sweep, only finding the costume and no other evidence. So they bagged it up and sent it off to Michigan State Police Crime Lab for analysis. Mm -hmm. Both the wig and the leotard were confirmed as belonging to Chelsea. One of the couple of disturbing elements here is that the straps and the crotch of the leotard had been torn, like completely ripped. They described it as severed. Yeah. Which does not look good. Some of the sources that I used said that there was blood on the lining, like inside lining of the leotard as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the analysis also revealed something else. On the leotard, they found DNA belonging to an unknown male. They ran the DNA through the FBI CODIS system. 
So for those who don't know, the CODIS system is a nationwide database that contains DNA information about everyone convicted of a crime in the United States. Mm -hmm. And there's like some other ways that your DNA can end up in the system, but that's kind of the general reason why they're in there. This process can take a long time. And in this case, that was also true. After months of waiting, the CODIS revealed nothing. Whoever this DNA belonged to, they were not in the CODIS system. No name to match the DNA that they'd found. So police held on to the sample for the time being. Mm -hmm. But this was obviously like really upsetting. Right. Like everybody's hopes were up. Like maybe we're going to be able to connect a person to this and maybe we'll find her. Right. So three weeks after the wig and leotard were recovered by investigators, another discovery was made. On April 24th, 2015, almost exactly six months after Chelsea was last seen, a man was working in a wooded area in northern Monroe County. This location was a few miles away from where the costume had been found and about 10 miles away from where the party was held. Hmm. So this guy had bought a chunk of land that he was going to be building a home on. And so there was like, this was like an active construction area. And so he had these big trucks that Mm -hmm. were moving cartloads of dirt around the property. Yeah. So at some point, the trucks were in a sparsely wooded area and one of the trucks got stuck. So the man went behind the truck to kind of like figure out what it was stuck on. How can we get this out? And he looked down and discovered human remains. Oh, no. He quickly alerted police who came out to take a look. They weren't initially sure, but based off of size descriptions and hair color and a few things like that, they believed that the remains did belong to Chelsea. So they sent the remains off to the medical examiner. And after a few days, dental records were used and confirmed that the remains found in the woods did, in fact, belong to Chelsea Ellen Brooke. Mm. Yeah. Before we move on, there's a couple of important things in her autopsy report. So the autopsy report revealed some severe blunt force trauma injuries. So her mandible or bottom jaw had been split in two. Mm -hmm. There were also chips and cracks in her teeth, teeth missing, and more blunt force injuries to her face. These findings took the missing person's investigation and turned it into a homicide investigation. But there were plenty of immediate questions to consider. How did Chelsea end up here, 10 miles away from where she was last seen without a car? Who had she left the party with if she'd ever actually left at all? What about the costume that was also several miles away from where her body was discovered? And most importantly, who did this to her and why? Right. So Chelsea's friends and family were obviously heartbroken. Yeah. The community at large was equal parts heartbroken, shocked, and worried that something like this could happen in their community. Yeah. Months passed with no leads. On September 2nd, 2015, some tattered leggings that were confirmed as belonging to Chelsea were also recovered near where her remains were found, as well as the other shoes she'd been wearing the night she was killed. And yet again, after those things were found, the case went cold. Hmm. No answers, no closer to figuring out who did this, no closer to justice for Chelsea. Until CODIS operators got a hit on the male DNA found on the leotard. Oh my gosh. So on either July 20th, 2016 or July 21st, 2016, I've seen both dates reported. Sure. The CODIS system confirmed that the male DNA belonged to a man by the name of Daniel Clay, who had been arrested on an unrelated charge around that same time, which ended up putting his DNA in the system. Yeah. So who is Daniel Clay? Daniel Allen Clay was born in 1988 in Monroe County, just like Chelsea. 
But unlike Chelsea, he did not have the sort of like idyllic, sweet, wonderful childhood full of love and closeness and happy memories. Mm-hmm. He was born in prison while his birth oh. mother was serving prison time and he was promptly placed for adoption. Oh. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. his adoptive parents got divorced when Clay was only five and he lived with his dad until his dad passed away when he was 17. At this oh time, for reasons unknown, Clay was then placed in the Monroe County Youth Center, which is like a home for troubled teens. At 17? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's very strange. Like, I feel yeah. like there had to have been different options. Somebody for a 17-year-old. Well, it's like only months from not needing that. I know. That's really sad. Like, there, there's... I would be shocked if there were no programs and that he didn't mm-hmm. have any, any resources that were available mm-hmm. to him. Um, so Clay struggled with drugs and he got involved in some petty crime throughout his teen years. And when he was 18, the youth center essentially just like booted him out. Yeah. He hopped around a few employment opportunities that would always fizzle out after a short time. And he also had no real place to call home for pretty much his entire adult life leading up to the night of the Halloween party in 2014. Mm-hmm. He also got an ex-girlfriend pregnant and left her to care for the baby, unwilling to even honor the warrants requesting him to pay child support. Wow. Yes. His string of crimes continued and grew in severity. Things like battery and assault and some other crimes being added to the list. Until he was arrested for larceny in May of 2016, just months before CODIS matched his DNA to the sample found on Chelsea's costume. Hmm. So even though he only spent one night in jail for that particular crime, because of recent law changes in Michigan, they were basically allowed to collect DNA samples from individuals who had been arrested for certain crimes. Hmm. So they were able to get a DNA sample from Clay before releasing him. Yeah. So the sample popped up in the CODA system and was matched to Chelsea's case. And boom, we've got a full circle moment. Wow. He was also arrested in June of 2016, just because I feel like this is important, um, on charges of breaking and entering and sexual assault of the woman who lived there. Oh, geez. So I don't know what the status of that case was at the time that he was discovered in the CODIS database, Mm -hmm. but it will come up later. Okay. That's the only reason I mentioned that. So before we move on, I just feel like we need to talk for a minute about how and what I presented about Clay's childhood. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's important. And we've, we've sort of talked about this before, but like when we're reading stories of kids who go through really awful things and then they become adults and then they do really awful things to other people. Right. It's a very weird, like internal tug of war. Yes. Because you feel awful for what they went through when they were little, Mm -hmm. but those things do not, excuse, justify, or make any sense of the crimes that some people choose to commit. Right. And like also having a traumatic childhood does not equate to becoming a criminal. Right. And becoming a criminal also doesn't equate to remaining a criminal your whole life necessarily. You know, like there's always opportunities for you to change directions, you know? Yes. So I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like I didn't want to present him like unfairly. I wanted to be accurate Mm -hmm. and I wanted to express how I felt about certain elements of that. But I also don't have any, I don't know. I guess I just want to eliminate it sounding as though I'm being sympathetic towards him as an adult or his choices as an adult. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. The, the real shame of it 
is that it sounds like uh, he was not given the right tools growing up mm-hmm. to know what to do with certain feelings or emotions or mm-hmm. just which choice was the actual right one to make. Mm-hmm. And it led to him being an adult who made really not great decisions. Mm-hmm. And he's still responsible for those things. Yeah. I just felt like when I presented that, I am sympathetic towards what he went through, but that yes. does not mean that I am at all sympathetic towards choices right. he made later. Right. So on July 22nd, 2016, Daniel Clay was arrested at his residence at the time, which was a mobile home belonging to his girlfriend at the time, located in Frenchtown Villa Mobile Park. Hmm. Interestingly, they wanted to catch him by surprise about why he was being arrested in hopes of being able to kind of have the element of surprise up their sleeves so that maybe he'd be more cooperative during the interrogation. So they actually arrested him on a child support warrant. Hmm. They brought him into the Monroe County Sheriff's office and they booked him on the child support. So they didn't immediately bring up the party or Chelsea, but eventually worked their way to that conversation as they interviewed him. They asked him if he knew who Chelsea Breck was. Clay said, yeah, of course I've seen her on the news. Uh, They asked him about the party, and he told them that, yes, he was there, but that he left pretty early, somewhere around 10 or 11 p.m., and that he had left alone. He denied seeing her that night because the party was so full of people in costume. And he said that Chelsea in her costume just, like, you know, didn't stand out to him amongst the sea of people. Mm -hmm. So he gave them a rundown of his best recollection of the night of the party, appearing to be cooperative and helpful until police backed him into a corner. They told him that his DNA had been found on her. He adamantly denied this. He's like, that's just not possible. There's no way. Like, I have no clue how that would be possible. So, like, they showed him documents. Yeah. This is a match. Yeah. Um, And he was not going to listen. So, it was at this point that Clay's story slowly began to shift for the first time. Mm. And he said, okay, well, maybe I did have sex with someone that night in a car. But it probably wasn't her. Because whoever... I'd been with, she wasn't blonde, but maybe it was her, uh, but maybe not. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, this was pretty futile for him, honestly. Uh, but he said, whoever this woman was had left the car after they had sex and they never spoke again. He fully denied harming or killing anyone. So throughout this interview, which I watched some of it, it's very interesting. He changed his story so many times and it's like, come on, dude. Anyways, police continued pushing, and eventually Clay cracked. He changed his story once again, saying that as he was leaving the party at whatever time, he'd seen a young woman walking along the side of a country road who waved him down. Mm -hmm. According to Clay, the woman was stranded and needed a ride home, but she wasn't only on the lookout for a ride. She also wanted a hookup, so they drove to a secluded wooded spot and parked and had sex. So... I'm not sure if this is the right spot for a content warning, but I feel like it's got to be close. Yeah. So here's a content warning. I'm going to be spending a minute describing the sexual encounter that Clay described in his interrogation. And there are some mentions of violence that leads to murder. So in case that's upsetting to anyone, here's your chance to skip ahead a couple of minutes. So according to Clay, the sex was wild and got out of control pretty quickly. He told interviewers that it was Chelsea who had initiated all of it and that at one point she'd asked him to choke her and hit her. So he obliged and began doing so. Okay. And shortly after he had choked her, her body went limp. 
He thought that perhaps she just passed out. So he tried to wake her up, but she wouldn't wake up. He said he then pulled her out of the car and tried to perform CPR on her, but she wasn't breathing and he could not find a pulse. He was confused by this because he claimed to have only choked her for about 20 to 30 seconds, but he was worried that he might have choked her too hard. He realized Mm. that he'd killed her and so heavily under the influence of drugs and alcohol and fueled by fear and adrenaline, he panicked. He put her body in the back of his car and drove around for 30 to 45 minutes, trying to find a place to hide her body. He said he'd never considered taking her to the hospital, which like, why? Mm. Heavy sigh. (laughs) So he drove around until he found a place to put her. He said he then placed her body in a different secluded area. So yeah, certain elements of his story obviously lined up with what investigators did know about that night as well as with several assumptions that they'd made based on the limited available evidence that Mm -hmm. they had. Yeah. Except for one major thing. What's the deal with all of those blunt force injuries? Yeah. Wild sex doesn't cause a completely split mandible or blunt force injuries to the face and mouth. Right. They were positive that there was more than what he was telling them. But despite that, they officially had enough to arrest him and charge him, which they charged him initially with second degree murder. Hmm. On September 22nd, 2016, he was given an additional charge of concealment of a body. And on November 2nd, 2016, they actually changed the charge on count one to open murder, which actually includes first degree murder. So if the jury assigned to his trial considered his crime to be first degree murder, there would be the chance of getting him the minimum sentence, which is a mandatory life sentence, Yeah, which is a huge deal. And just because we haven't done this on the show yet, I'm just going to define a term. Sure. Yeah. So first degree murder is murder that's intentional. And there are two types, premeditated intent to kill or felony murder, which is murder committed in addition to a felony. Right. I know most of you probably know that, but you know, every once in a while, I feel like it's kind of important yeah. when we're using like jargon so that people right. know. So anyways. So what's the difference between that and second degree murder? So a second degree murder is when somebody kills somebody intentionally but it was not premeditated oh okay so it's like like in a fit of rage sure thing yeah more than manslaughter yes less than you plan less than first degree yes yes and so then open murder is basically they're not trying to determine whichever degree they're gonna let the jury determine whichever degree is that what that means yeah so they're they're basically deciding between is this first degree murder or felony murder Oh, it is okay. kind of how they explained it from what I read. Yeah, yeah. In this specific case. So open murder basically means different charges are on the table. Got it. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So before the trial began, the prosecution offered him a plea deal. They said that if he'd plead guilty to second degree murder, they would, in exchange, offer him a 35 year sentence. Clay and his attorneys declined the plea deal. Wow. The defense attorney was confident in Clay and his story and that the idea of getting the charges lowered to manslaughter was possible. Hmm. So, in May of 2017, Daniel Clay's trial began at Monroe County Courthouse. The courtroom was full of friends and family of Chelsea, as well as members of the community that loved and supported the Bruck family and were touched by Chelsea in some way during her life. They all wanted to see her get justice. So, another content warning, I'm going to be going over evidence of the crime, as well as mentioning sexual violence and murder acts for the next few minutes. Mm. So, over the course of six days, Clay stuck to his story. 
he'd accidentally killed Chelsea during some sex that got out of hand. So the prosecution showed photos of the costume to the jury. And they explained that since the straps and the crotch of the leotard were ripped, and due to the presence of blood and Clay's DNA on the costume, that his story is not the full picture. They argue that the costume presented sound evidence that what is much more likely is that Chelsea was raped and then murdered by Clay. The blunt force injuries on her face also paint that same picture. They brought the medical examiner to the stand to testify on the autopsy findings. It was learned that Chelsea had had a broken jaw, missing and chipped teeth, and a fracture to her orbital socket. The medical examiner had concluded that based on the remains, the cause of death was multiple blunt force blows to the face, and that it was possible that some of her injuries could have been caused up to three hours after her death. Oh. But you don't accidentally rape someone and then beat them to death or strike a corpse. Right. That just is not super plausible, you know. So the medical examiner also pointed out that if Clay's story that Chelsea had been choked for 20 to 30 seconds before passing out and then died only a few seconds after passing out, like if that were true, that would be a pretty anomalous thing. Right, right. They pointed out that Chelsea would have needed to have been strangled for an additional two minutes after she had passed out in order for manual strangulation to have caused her death. Because what, I mean, it would be like lack of oxygen and blood flow to the brain, you know? Right. Right. And that does not happen in 20 to 30 seconds, you know? Yeah. They brought up several witnesses, including law enforcement and experts who'd been working the case since the very beginning. So this next person that I'm going to talk about, I'm not sure if she testified in court or if she just like offered a statement, but it's an important one. So a woman by the name of Jessica Prydel was a coworker and a friend of Chelsea's, and she also had a child with Daniel Clay. Oh, okay. She also happened to have been at Mike Williams' party on the night that Chelsea was killed. She said that at one point during the evening, she was talking with Chelsea and a few others when Clay and some other people approached them. She couldn't recall if Chelsea and Clay had had like any interactions with each other at that point, but later on that night, she smoked marijuana with mm-hmm. Clay, and then she did see Chelsea sometime between... 1 and one thirty in the morning, and she was fine. Hmm. She had interacted with Clay since the night of the party, and she also couldn't recall if he ever said anything to her about Chelsea. But on the day that he was arrested, he had left Jessica two frantic voicemails, apologizing and swearing, saying he'd messed up big time and he was going away for a while. Ooh. So that doesn't look great. No, it does not. Also, I don't know if this was admitted into evidence or not, But Clay had a different girlfriend at the time of the arrest that he was Mm -hmm. living with. uh, That was Kelly Richter. And this is kind of weird. So Kelly had seen, you know, this person's missing on the news. Her family is launching search parties and they're pleading day and night for her to come home. Like we need the public's help. So Kelly made a statement to the Detroit Free Press saying that Clay had confessed Chelsea's murder to her over the phone the day after it had happened. And she never came forward with that information oh, until no. that point. Oh, I, I don't know if she was ever like charged with anything. I don't know what she would be charged with, but that was like, no. Yeah. Oh gosh. This got dragged out for years. Right. Right. Ugh. It wouldn't have to be. I know that really was a, mm. I don't even know what to say about that, honestly. Right. Well, in, it's one of those kind of weird scenarios that, 
I'm sure she's having to like think through like, did he actually, is he just saying that? Is he stoned out of his mind? Like, sure. You know, or, or just like trying to rationalize it. Right. Like why he would say something like that, you know? Right. But I don't, I just, I'm just going to say, I don't get that. I feel like that's a fair statement. Yeah. I don't understand having that information seeing, I mean, there's no way she didn't see Right. One of the 10 million posters plastered around town and all of the news like blasts yeah. of her family crying on TV, begging right. for help finding her. Right. Like there's no way she didn't see that. Mm. And once again, this isn't her fault. Like it's not her fault that her boyfriend killed this girl. Right. But you knew. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Like you knew. So I'm not mm. trying to shame this girl, but I don't get it. So... In the attempt to leave a final lasting impact on the jury, the prosecution staged a recreation of the events that led to the death of Chelsea Brooke. So at one point during this recreation, they got one of those like CPR dummies Mm -hmm. and they laid it on a table and they made Clay hold his hands around the neck of the mannequin for two and a half minutes with all of his strength. The idea was to show the jury the amount of constant pressure required in manual strangulation in order to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. And that if the choking had been consensual and if his story is to be believed at all, like here's exactly what he would have had to have done in order to accidentally strangle her to death. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They concluded with stating what they believed had actually happened. That after she was left without her phone or a ride from the party, that Chelsea had begun walking either in search of a ride or with the idea that she'd walk home. That Clay saw her and either offered her a ride or pulled her into the car. And that she was then sexually assaulted and beaten by Clay, which ultimately caused her death. He then refused to call 911 or take her to the hospital. Yeah. So when the defense had their turn, they had Clay take the stand, who continued to stick with his story. He explained his version of events and swore up and down that Chelsea's death was an accident and that he never intended to kill her. Mm -hmm. He claimed that because he was so drunk that he didn't immediately notice that she had passed out or that anything had gone wrong and that he believed that because he didn't register what had happened in time, that all of his efforts to save her really were pointless anyways. Mm -hmm. Like he tried to save her here. What a hero. Yeah. So he claimed that his phone had also died. And so he couldn't call anyone for help. He tried to explain away the violent injuries to Chelsea's face by saying that maybe he bumped her head while pulling her out of the car or that when he disposed of her body, that maybe her face struck something hard or that when he tried to cover her remains, that maybe a rock or like a log had fallen onto her and caused those injuries postmortem. The defense brought in a medical expert at this point to help support Clay's story. Hmm. So the idea from this expert was that maybe because Chelsea was intoxicated that perhaps the strangulation was enough to cause her to stop breathing leading to her death and it's possible that the time that it normally takes to manually strangle someone to death could be shortened by having high amounts of alcohol in your system they claim that the cause of death was once again accidental through means of what's called erotic asphyxiation which I'm just going to let you guys google that (laughs) if you want to not going to take any more or, time on that. Or maybe don't. Maybe don't Google it. But <laughs> they concluded don't. by saying that the testimony presented by Clay and by the medical expert that they brought in lends credibility to the idea that this was just a terrible accident. 
denying that he was behaving in any way that could be considered predatory or that his actions towards Chelsea were intentional on the night that she died. Hmm. So in total, the trial lasted around six days. Once both sides had finished presenting their cases, a jury made up of 11 women and one man sat down to deliberate. Oh, wow. And within three short hours on May 16th, 2017, they had reached their verdict. On the felony murder charge, Daniel Clay was found guilty. On count two, concealing the death of an individual, Daniel Clay was found guilty. Yeah. So Daniel Clay literally did not react at all when he heard the verdict, which like that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. Like people kind of react differently to different things. You know, it's kind, that's right. kind of like well, when it's also bad news, it's kind of like you almost probably go into shock. I would imagine. Like, I'm sure like that bad of news. Like this is this is the end of my life, you know. Right. But in an interview shortly after his verdict was announced, he called himself an effing monster, hmm. which felt kind of performative to a lot of people. Like a lot of people were like, okay, now you have something to say, you know? So yeah, I thought that that oh, was wow. at least worth pointing out. So on July 13th, 2017, Daniel Clay was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and was given a second sentence of five years for the concealing the death of an individual. He was given time served in 2021 for the second half of the sentence, so sure. the five years. Sure. He would also be charged with home invasion and sexual assault for the June 2016 incident, and he was given another 39-month sentence. At his sentencing for Chelsea's murder, Chelsea's family showed up. Her mom wore purple to represent Chelsea in the room. Mm-hmm. They brought these easels that they put hundreds of pictures of Chelsea on to display, as they described to everyone in attendance how much more wonderful and beautiful their lives were because of Chelsea and how heartbroken and devastated they were, not just because of what happened to her, but just the sheer weight of her absence. Her mom also took some time to share a writing that she'd come up with, and she'd encouraged young people to make a solid plan and look after each other whenever they're out and about. You know, just like do what you can to keep your friends safe. She offered a new Bible to Clay, And she bought it just for him. She also offered her forgiveness towards him for his actions. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. I know, me too. I cried a lot writing this. Yeah. So Clay took the opportunity to apologize to her friends and loved ones for what had happened. The judge, Monroe Circuit Judge Daniel S. White, had this to say about Clay and his actions and his apology. Quote, I spent 10 days in trial with Mr. Clay and I listened to countless hours of him changing his story every time the detectives questioned him or brought up something new. It was very clear to me, Mr. Clay, you are a liar, a rapist, and a killer. End quote. Wow. Daniel Clay appealed his murder conviction in 2019, but was denied and is serving his sentence at the Kinross Correctional Facility in Kinchelo, Michigan. Hmm. Sorry okay. if I mispronounced that. As for Chelsea, sure you know, some level of justice was served, but justice doesn't bring her back to her loved ones or give her the chance to continue pursuing her dreams. Her family has worked hard to preserve the legacy that she left behind. Her sweet, happy spirit and big wide smile is always on their minds. Her funeral was held on June 13th, 2015 with her friends and family in attendance. She was laid to rest in St. Joseph's cemetery in maybe Michigan. Before we wrap up, I just want to share one more thought that I had while I was looking into this story. Mm -hmm. As I was reading, 
about Chelsea and about her family and about her friends. I just kept getting this awful feeling for for her friends that had left. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure that they all have insane misplaced guilt. Yeah. Which is really sad, like, and really unfair because it was not their fault. I guess I just kind of wanted to share for a second in Leanda Brooks' sentiments and encourage everyone to just look out for each other. I feel mad that I even have to, like, say this because people should just not be terrible to each other. But I hate what happened to Chelsea so much. So Halloween weekend starts tomorrow, and I'm sure that many of our listeners have fun, exciting plans to get all dressed up and go out and Mm -hmm. have a great time. And you should do that. But I want to give a friendly reminder that there are actual monsters out there. Mm -hmm. That they will be using the opportunity of people being in costume or being intoxicated or a single person getting separated from a group of friends to do awful things. Yeah. While nothing that happened in this story was anyone's fault besides Daniel Clay's, literally nobody's. Right. Daniel Clay was guilty in this solely. Yes. Let's all just make a silent pact to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. That if we see something, we say something. Because I want you guys to all have a happy and fun and safe weekend. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just been weighing kind of heavy on me since I started this. That Mm -hmm. like... Of course, it's no one else's fault, but let's all, let's all just consider right. keeping each other safe as a top priority. So right. that's, that's what I have for you this week. Well, uh, I think this is like the kind of story that we do not need to rate. No, I don't want to rate this one. <laughs> and so we're going to go ahead and skip right on past that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to make it really simple this week, um, please make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. You'll never miss an episode if you're subscribed. And if you leave a five-star review, that's really helpful for other people to find the podcast, to listen to other similar stories and and shows. Additionally, if you're uh, on social media, you can find us at this one is a doozy on Instagram and TikTok, And you can find us on Facebook. This one's a doozy podcast. And with that, we will see you on Monday on Halloween for another doozy. Thanks for listening. Thanks guys. Stay safe. Happy Halloween.